Hi, I'm Saxman Phibbs. Hi, I'm Will Stubley. And, and this, this is Uncommon. Uncommon is a production focused on the why of business, media, and marketing. It's made by my team at Neural, a digital agency for challenger brands and talent. To learn more, just visit neural.com. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com. My guests this week, Saxon Phipps and Will Stubley, co-founders of Year 13. Gents, uh, it's been an interesting process going through your notes with Ian. He gave me a good little zinger to start off with and I was just curious how Will broke his foot in the Amazon while the two of you were traveling together. Oh, all right. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'll start. A bit of a long uh, story, but we were invited to go to the Amazon um, on this trip called uh, Unstoppables. And the concept of the trip was they take founders of startups um, and investors to extreme places and um, uh, for extreme ideas. And the year before we went, which was the first year of it, they went to Antarctica, which, um, so we saw all that, which looked, looked epic. And um, our year was uh, to the Amazon. And it was pretty cool. It was like uh, probably maybe 10 startups and a whole bunch of investors. There was people like Naomi Simpson from Shark Tank and things like that. And the first half of the trip, I think it was a 10-day trip, the first five or six days was um, was literally in the heart of the Amazon rainforest. Well, just just on that, which country were do you... Brazil. Brazil, okay. Yeah, so, so flew, flew, into, flew into Rio de Janeiro. And then, yeah, and then got the flight to, it starts with M, I just can't remember the name of the city. Um, and even getting there was a bit of a nightmare because we had to fly from Sydney to, uh, was it Dubai? Uh, Are you kidding? Dubai, Dubai to Rio. And the transition from the flight was literally like we got off one flight and got onto the other. So it was like on the plane for, for I think it was almost 24 hours straight. And stops at Rodney's passport when we yeah. were at Sydney Gate. Wow. Yeah, so even getting there was 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 um, <laughs> we had a, a bit of a. There's a few stories within this within the story, but when we're actually in the heart of the Amazon uh, rainforest, and uh, we stayed at this sort of floating hotel thing, which was pretty cool, and um, we went yeah piranha fishing, and there's um, yeah did a whole bunch of stuff. But one of the nights was we were actually camping uh, in the rainforest, and so. Um, literally to have machetes and you have to build your own beds and like, kill our own chickens and things like that, which is which is funny. And so anyway, we we built these beds and the the uh, platform that we built was about a metre off the floor and the one of the guys that we were with uh, on the trip, uh, he was one of the investors, a pretty young fella from, from Perth, decided to bring a few bottles of whiskey. And, oh, here we uh, go. And anyway, so they had a bit of a carry-on at the night, which I actually – Kept on route. Sax got a little bit more excited than I did, and uh, and anyway, in the morning, um, the, the platform was about a meter off the, off the ground, and I just went to get up to to uh, go take a piss in the morning, and and as I jumped off the platform, my foot just landed like perfectly on this log, and it rolled, and it was it was honestly like it, it for what I wasn't even doing anything that like. It was just a nothing event and it just perfectly landed there. And I'd never rolled my ankle like that ever. And everything, I just remember everything going white and my ears were ringing. So I couldn't like see or hear anything. I had to like sit down and it hurt so bad. So I knew that like, I knew something had happened. The pain actually went away pretty quickly, but the, the issue was to get to the spot that we were, we were in. It was like an hour and a half hike to get to the place that we camped. And so I was sitting there going like, oh, how am I actually going to get back? <laughs> and luckily it, it, it started getting better. And so I, I was able, able to walk, walk back. But as soon as I got back, put the foot up, ice out. And then that evening we're flying from um, where we were in the Amazon to back to Rio to go to Carnival. <laughs> and it already, like, as soon as I sat down, my foot just blew up. It started getting really, really swollen. And then Sort of had to get on the flight, and, I'd be, and yeah, I now know that it's not recommended to get on planes when you when you go that so on. So I got off the plane, and it just went like black. So not only did it get bigger, but like all the all of the blood had just gone straight into it. And so we got to Rio that night, and um, 
I took it easy. I think Saxon and a few other guys went out, and then literally that next night was was um, was one of the last nights of Carnival, which we had this amazing setup for. And um, and yeah, so anyway, that's <laughs> a funny one to start with. But the the it's I guess the nature of of Saxon has journey with Year Thirteen is we've been very fortunate to um, to be given some pretty wild experiences, and um, and that was one of the ones that was really circumstantial how we got there. We got over there just took full advantage of it had a bit of carnage along the way <laughs> how, how do you remember that moment saxon oh, he's nailed it pretty well but i think where i find it quite funny was that we were trying to fly back and will's ankle was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and um had to like hide it we're getting on the on the plane and then obviously going up in the pressure we got off in rio and his ankle was like four times the size. It looked like he had like elephant titus in his foot and his ankle. And Jesus. the next night we were going to obviously Carnival and it was the, the big night of the event and, um, and a bit of liquid courage. Quickly went from Stubbs not being able to walk to then I've got this video of him doing like the cha-cha with one of the girls dancing. And I think it was the excitement of the moment. Yeah, I'll never forget just watching him sit there roll over and just be so disorientated and knowing that we had such an adventure ahead of us to try and get back to the the hotel then the flight then going into carnival it was um yeah it was, it was quite the experience but yeah as we all said it's been a big part of our journey we've um gone through a few fires and a few accidents and we've always come out of it all right yeah i feel like that story typifies what being in a startup or creating a new organization is like, like it, 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 it is a good way of summarizing the journey in a way, because there's moments like that, but you just learn to get through it, so to speak, just on the fact of breaking your foot. I, I've done that before as well. A very weird one where I would have been 13, 14, and we were just playing like uh, not British Bulldogs, but like deck the deal with a pill was the game. You'd have like a, a tennis ball and you just chase the person down and smash them. Basically, that was the game. And I just remember this one guy when I had the ball fell on my foot and he broke my foot. And I walked on that thing for two weeks on the, with the idea that it was just badly bruised. So it's quite amazing what the body can do in that scenario oh, with yeah. certain things. Love to know the amount of injuries that were uh, off the back of uh, playing bull rush at school. Oh, for sure. <laughs> there, there's too many to name. What's like the earliest inception memory for you both? What's the earliest memory of life? That's a good question. I've, I've never really thought of that. I'd have to, I'd have to say it'd be probably going up and staying with my grandparents up in the, the central coast. Um, they used to live on like quite a you know, bit of acreage and property um, out near at the back end of like King Cumber. Okay. And I'm I'm one of three or four boys and I've got a little sister. So three, me, my older brother's two years older than me, my younger brother's two years. Um, and then Hamish is six. But we used to go up there and just go like walking through the bush and through the mangroves and through everything. Like it was that's that's probably my one of my earliest memories is like probably a three, four-year-old. Like we were just out there doing strange things in the you know just what you do when in the early 90s yeah early 90s it's very different to the to the world today yeah what about you will yeah i was trying to think through uh <laughs> i've got uh the thing that came to mind so grew up in northern beaches of sydney and um it's probably yeah early as early as probably my dad taking me out on, on the boogie board <laughs> yeah so pushed me onto <laughs> ways and very very young so yeah that's probably my early that was the first thing that came to mind at least was um was being quite young and um but that taking me out the back and pushed me on the ways yeah my my earliest memory people listening probably would remember me going back to this repeatedly i don't know why but my earliest memory is making shapes in cement with pieces of wood like that have been done on the side of the house just getting like pieces of wood and just putting shapes through all this cement and my parents thinking, what the fuck have you done <laughs> and getting in trouble for it. So that's my you know, that question a lot. I do. Yeah. Do, do, do a lot of people struggle with trying to remember? Like well, what it does 
because I, I love studying body language is you can see when someone is genuinely thinking about an answer when they start going like this. <laughs> so just like Sax was earlier, like the first thing he did was like that. When people stare and they've just got like a rote line when they're PR trained, it's one of the best questions to break through that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I ask it all the time. Is like, what's your earliest memory? And people genuinely have to think because no one's are no one asks them that on, yeah. on business podcast. Let's talk about how the two of you met. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> early studies. Um, I think with Saxon, you finished high school, no real plan. Um, you know, which in previous interviews, I think you'd mentioned made you feel like a bit of a failure because all your mates were sort of going to uni, threw yourself at everything. I got here, barista, bricky, laborer, backpacking for, for three months. And then as soon as you came back, you sort of saw your brother's um, obviously, you've got younger brothers um, going through a similar process, and that's where you started to formulate this idea, so to speak. Will very different. It sounds like you went straight into uni, and you had, well, you knew from a young age, at least playing with Lego, that building was going to be a thing. So, you know, civil engineering. It's one of those cliches where you're at high school, and they're like, "Oh yeah, engineer, builder. This is this is the path. This is the thing you have to do." I'm curious for Will first, how did Saxon pull you into this year 13 thing? So Saxon and I went to the same school. Okay. Uh, so Saxon two years older than me. And it's funny that you, you asked how we met because how we met was also <laughs> me almost hurting myself. <laughs> Near death experience. Common theme here. Common yeah. Theme. <laughs> oh, mate, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you how we met. I, we were, I would have been in year seven. You would have been in year nine. So no, no, no. You're in year seven. I, I was in year seven. You're in year five. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so young. And so one of my mates in uh, in, in in my year, uh, his older brother was friends with Sachs and we were all at their place. And uh, they had a pool and we were jumping out of the top, like the, the, the from the roof into the pool. And we'd been doing it a fair few times and, all running and doing it and it got a little bit wet and so I ran and slipped and the first memory of Saxon I talked about it was he was right behind me so he saw me slip and I just I remember him going holy shit like that's not the memory I I remember so anyway sure your audience doesn't uh care too much about that but it gives a bit of context into it so yeah where we linked up in terms of year 13 was uh as you said we have really different journeys after school um I originally was going to do a carpentry apprenticeship, uh, end up performing, I guess, better than expected in year 12. So like my school and dad very much said, you know, <laughs> don't, don't do a carpentry apprenticeship, go to uni, you know, be an engineer instead, you get paid a lot more, it's a better career, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, I've, I've always liked building things with my hands and all that sort of stuff. And so I got to uni, I was like, whoa, this is significantly different to what I was expecting. Because <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, I, was, I thought uni was going to be this big party and, you know, everyone having heaps of free time and, and, and you know, like it was, yeah, it was way harder than I was. Um, yeah, it was hard. So I was going through that period and then um, unfortunately one of uh, my close friends and one of Saxon's mutual friends was having a particularly hard transition out and unfortunately got a little bit too much for her and she actually ended up taking her own life. And so... Uh, that happened and then there was a few of our other mates that were just really struggling and so yeah there was this general sentiment of yeah this is meant to be like the most exciting period of your life and there was just a lot of people that weren't really living that you know happy and fulfilled life and so I knew that Sachs um had sort of yeah he'd gone traveling sort of come back and was talking about this um concept of like all the things you can do after school and um you know why is yeah, it always, you have to go to uni, a bunch of our mates were doing trades and having awesome lives, you know, finishing work at, you know, 3 p.m. going for surfs and skating and, you know, doing art and all that sort of stuff. When, when I reached out, like when Sax and I connected, I knew he had that idea. I sort of came to him saying, look, it's not just that. There's all these trials and tribulations of, of that transitional journey and we sort of talked about a bunch of our friends and so he said, you know, should we link up? Because I'm sort of thinking we need to do something like that. You're thinking about the, you know, what we can do from the pathways if we teamed up. It's the same thing. So it's it funny because we've known each other for a very long time, but we weren't that, like, we weren't really close at all. And so we went into it without knowing that would be a good fit, really. Um, but I think having those foundational experiences now become really, really valuable is like, 
know how we grew up. We know who, like, who we are, that sort of stuff. And then just the fact that we get along so well um, just made it like a perfect fit. But yeah, it really, there's the whole youth and business and like our stories as individually. It's like there's so many serendipitous things that have just made it like feel <laughs> someone really wants this to make this happy. Yeah. I don't know if you'd agree with this, Sax, but it almost sounds like that friend who took her own life would have been, uh, yes, you have moments and feelings in your life in friendship groups. I think this is a common theme. I know for a fact that when I came out of uni, I had no idea. I had the worst career advice at high school going into uni, wrong uni, wrong course. I think for the first two years out of uni, I was still working it out. But to me, that would be a very catalyzing thing for someone who's 18 to 20 years of age and thinking, okay, this is, this is something deeply important rather than just like, oh, this is a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it, it probably goes back a bit further that, you know, we, there is so much pressure put on young people going through you know, the education system, you know, that age old question of like, you know, what, what are you going to be? What do you want to do when you've had such a relatively narrow existence? Like you don't know what is out there. You don't know that there's emerging industries. You don't know what you're good at. All you've really been exposed to is what your parents do and, you know, potentially a bit of hospitality and maybe a bit of, bit of vocation. Like you just, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that that pressure in putting that, in answering that question is actually what perpetuates a lot of these issues. I think a lot of people will make a decision under the idea that it will buy them time to work out what they're going to do, but it causes a lot of barriers and a lot of negative effects and negative ripples because you know, using your example, Jordan, like, you know, you go off and you, you, you may go into higher education and you just, you're doing a degree to just kind of work it out. And then all of a sudden you've, you're in 30 grand worth of hex debt and you haven't come out and you, you're not really interested in what you've done, but yeah. you're then saying, I can't waste this. And you're perpetually behind the eight ball. And that's one of the big things and one of the hardest things to kind of correct is that we've got this age old question and it's, it's been around for eons and eons. And um, I think that's what really, when you go back into this, into the transitions from year to year, from year 10 to 11 to 12 is that, you know, you've got a system which is ranking you against your, your other peers. Um, it's, it's all about individualized work. It's, you know, it's, it's not about collaboration and teamwork and sharing ideas and finding people's strengths. And it's been one of the biggest things about Will and I in our relationship is that I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm bad at. And it's the same with Will and that's how we complement each other. But if you look at us in terms of the schooling metrics, we were a country mile in differences as to where we sat. And so in a relative state, it'd be like, well, you would never put someone who's going to go into, into, into engineering, who's going to achieve a great, great marks here with someone who isn't performing as well because it doesn't make sense. But realistically, when, when you do and you find each other's strengths, it makes a lot of sense very, very quickly, but that's not taught. So yeah, I think that's, that's where the, that, that snowball effect really starts. Okay. So this is to me, this is why I wanted to get you guys on one of the most, like, the crux of year 13 is one of the most covered topics that entrepreneurs that we have on our show get passionate about that they don't get asked about regularly. So this is the thing that I ask regularly is like, what's a topic you wish could, you could do like a Ted talk on or something. And the common theme that people have is school and schooling or like how that lifts you into your vocation that you eventually do later, later on in life. Going back to my own example, I did terribly at high school, like not terribly, but I did pretty average, average compared to what I've done with my life so far. And I just feel in hindsight, it was that those years, like you said, 10, 11, 12, where so much more could have been done or my mindset could have been changed that would have helped me accelerate these decisions in my life a lot earlier, as opposed to the latter part of my 20s or the earlier 20s instead. You know, you, sometimes you just meet those people and they've just got, they've just got that awareness and they've got that, their shit together in terms of what they want to do and, and an idea of what they want to do. So this is a topic and I, I would call it schools and their impact because the whole idea of year 13 is essentially 
to better equip young people for the next period of their lives when they leave school. And so clearly, based on anecdotal interviews, based on what you guys are doing, we've had talent on our roster that do uh, talks for you guys. So it's clearly a fit, like there's a thing here. There's a problem here in society. Where can schools improve, do you guys think? What's going to be the thing that starts to make a change to this specific issue of people having a total lack of awareness to what to do with their life? Because that has massive implications for the economy and for people's own well-being, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this is one of the things with Year 13 is when we first started, we weren't necessarily setting out you know, really consciously to, to start a business. Like when we first started, we were, we were essentially a blog information portal talking about all the things you can do after school. And so what has become, you know, crystal clear to us, and, and I think it, the conversation is happening, you know, more and more at all levels of society, is what starts off as, you know, a small problem of someone trying to finish that transition out of school uh, becomes a significantly bigger problem for really everyone like society yeah. down the track because you've got two fundamental things that happen from that. You've got uh, significant social impact and you've got significant economic impact based on how successfully we get someone to transition into you know, a pretty structured school system into the next phase of life. So our North Star of the business is actually meaningful work and it's because our, our purpose is, is helping you know, young people, but can be all people, but young people live happier, more fulfilling lives and the highest correlation to happiness and fulfillment is actually meaningful work. Like, of course, there's other things that are correlated, but you know, there's a lot of research going through ourselves, but you know, from from a whole bunch of different places of how impactful meaningful work is. And then again, taking it back to both from a social and economic point of view, yeah, it really does impact everyone because it's um, you know, you Sachs is on the board of the National Careers Institute. We, we work with um, state and federal government quite a lot, and you know, you look at any sort of budget line item in whether it's education, employment, you know, social services, you're talking, you know, billions and billions of dollars. And then yeah. the, the social impact, you know, unfortunately the story of ours, you know, our, our friend and, and friends that sort of, sort of struggled, it, the problem of youth mental health and, and, you know, and confidence and just understanding their place in the world is becoming more and more of an issue. So uh, and we're seeing that year on year. So, yeah, taking it back, it is, it's, it, it is a really what seems like a small little thing is so impactful for not only the individual but really everyone that's around them. And so for us, it's it's one of those things where, where we've just been on this, you know, sort of rabbit hole where you go every time, every year that we, we're doing it, you're just like, oh, my God, it's like more and more important for this to be solved. Sachs, I, I guess I'm curious from your perspective, what do you think is, what's a solution here? Is, is it multi-pronged or is there a silver bullet? I don't know if there's a silver bullet, but there are certainly some solutions. You know, and these are my own perspectives and, and beliefs. But you know, I, I think one of, one of the big issues is that under the current system and how things work, now, we have subjects which are, you know, are negatively scaled towards a, a, a student transition, like the students end, end up year 12 results. Now, that puts such a negative connotation on whatever that subject is. Like you look at something, so we've got a national skill shortage in the country. So, you know, using carpentry as an example. However, design and technology in, you know, in year 12 is a negative, is, is a grade B subject, which then negatively scales for, for a student. So if you think about it, it's like, well, I've got to be trying to get the best results here for, you know, my year 12 certificate. And if I choose this subject, which I'm really interested in being building, and we talk a lot and labor markets demonstrate this with enterprise skills and, and the transferable nature of skills, and you do something like design and industrial design and technology, we know the impact that technology is having and the importance of design, but it's a negatively scaled subject. So for a lot of people, it's like, well, I won't choose that because it's not going to get me this, this mark. And then you think about we've got a national skill shortage and it's like, well, why do we have this skill shortage? It's like if they were on an equal playing field and you go, you're choosing the subjects which interest you the most and that you are intrinsically good at, 
then you can you're only going to increase the productivity and the the quality of people that are going to be learning about it and showing the transition as to where design and technology can take you or where agriculture can take you or biology that scaling metric to me is just very archaic and and it, and it actually contributes a lot to a, a lot of the stigmas that are attached to industries and i think a lot of the confusion that face you know, young people and students as a part of that transition because they come out with, you know, a metric and a number, which essentially you can kind of game. And then it's like, well, I haven't done something which I'm really, truly interested in. And then now I'm going to go off into a, a course or into some education or, and it's still, you, you, you're perpetuating that, that, that chase for like, what am I actually interested in and what am I good at? And I know it sounds very philosophical, but it's also very pragmatic. And it's what Stubbs said, like the economic value that actually comes from, you know, a higher productive, higher passionate individual in terms of work, the workforce, it, it's there to be seen. And it's, um, it's probably one of what I think is one of the solutions to, um, you know, again, we have a massive skill shortage now in traditional industries and in emerging industries. And if it's not corrected, then the impact on the economy is, is dire. Wow. So we have, now that I, I can see that, we have a completely decentralized system, which is the labor market and skills demand, i.e. jobs. And we have a completely centralized or centrally controlled system, which is the high school tertiary system which is basically like a game so there's a complete miss i've always wondered that why does negative scaling exist i, I can't answer it i, I it but, but surely you guys have heard from state legislators or education departments around why it exists it's to try and uh detect the difficulty level of a uh subject so for example for unit mass scales highly because the correlation to difficulties is, is up and so this is where like the structural nature of the system actually is, is a barrier because because it's a ranking system they've got to try and put a you know what is the rank but that ranking doesn't correlate to labor market demands so right. just because you are academically successful or you are above someone else from these metrics that doesn't correlate to the skill sets that you have, which are actually in demand from the workforce. So that's where, because so our, our core business is up, like upgrading the school to work transition. So that's where we see the biggest disconnect between the language industry uses, which is skills and like becoming more and more skill-based. And, and you, I'm sure you've probably seen messages coming out from, from um, even the prime minister, like, you know, skills, skills, skills. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Schools do just talk a different language, which which is is very much around, yeah, you know, the ATAR system and things like that. So what? But why are the school? Why do the schools want to rank people? What's the? How are they being incentivized to rank people? Is it because of the way that tertiary education is uh, allotted? Like we talk about recently, the government changing how they'll compensate or cover a portion of fees for certain courses to encourage certain. You know, and they make these changes every like five years or something like that. So it's clearly behind the market. Is that the reason why, or is there something else? So the so ATAR, I would say, Australian Tertiary Admission Ranking. Yeah. And so that is the system that is used for tertiary admission to get into uni, for example. So uh, unis, especially if you look at Group of Eight, the top eight unis um, in Australia, it's, it it is. Well, I'll give you a stat: seventy percent of young people plan to go to uni. Like seventy percent of of, of, um, of school leavers. Okay. So, from a university entry point of view, it is you know a practical way of you know working out a system where they can say, okay, there's only this many places in medicine, there's only this many places in 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 war for whatever. How do we choose that? The alternative system is the American system where it is a much more, you know, a little bit more of an art where there's application processes, there's actual interviews and things like that. So from the other side of, of looking at it, it, it is a more practical way of dealing with such a large number of people that want to do something, but it's not necessarily the most fair. So that's where it becomes, depending on the perspective you're looking at it, 
it, it is multifaceted. And that's where, like, it, it is, it's hard to, you can't just blame one thing or one area because there's so many different stakeholders that are involved in that transitional journey, whether it is education, whether it's they're big wheels to turn and everyone's got a different perspective. So the difference that we've got and, you know, so we're, we're looking at it from the young person's perspective. So, you know, what makes the most sense to them? What's not only the fairest, but what's going to set them up for the most success? And that's where, again, everyone's got, you know, different ways of doing things. And, and so that's not always the core focus for, for, for everyone. What if I told you the way to take your brand to the next level in 2021 is with TikTok ads? A lot of our clients come to us with a problem. They need to take their brand to the next level. They're typically doing five to 10K a month and they need to jump to that 25, 50K per month level. And Instagram and Facebook just isn't what it was. So what's the commonality amongst all this? It is primarily opportunity in a saturated market. And we think that TikTok ads today is the answer. Now, Neural follows a two-phase process to guide you as a challenger brand on the way to growth. Phase one is all about knowing your brand and niche back to front with a focus on breaking even or getting above a break even. Phase two is scaling that creative to blow up your sales in the process once we've secured you as the leader in that niche on TikTok. You do this with the right partner, a committed partner like Neural, and you'll build that confidence in an area that has typically been saturated in the past is not a silver bullet and we'd love to chat to you so book in a consultation with our specialist team just go to neural.com slash tiktok that's n-e-u-r-a-l-l-e.com slash tiktok and we'll chat to you from there okay so this this might segue well to my next question which is around better systems so this has always been an interesting topic to me because of my own experience obviously we've covered that and I've always been intrigued by systems that exist. And every country is different because of the cultural reasons, i.e. you get very uh, homogenous societies. Let's look at somewhere like Israel. You know, you come out of high school and the vast majority of their society goes through their defense force, you know, and they have aptitude tests. Um, they basically find out what is this person best destined for? Should they be on the tech side of things? Should they be on services side of things? Should they be in manufacturing? Should they be on the front line? All these different areas, which a lot of specialists, and I've watched a lot of like mini docos talk about it being one of the greatest re- recruiting organizations. It's not a country, it's a recruiting organization is like the quote I've heard a few times. And then you've got also other places like uh, Finland where they've, uh, I've been reading that they've been looking to drop these sort of scoring-based systems. Um, and again, it's like a combination of aptitude, yeah, more more aptitude-based stuff. Now, you guys obviously working, I think you said before you're on the board of National Careers Institute, you would be asked questions around this sort of stuff. Do you see any global systems that particularly work well that you would like Australia to move towards? Yeah, and I think we're we're seeing a a starting point with some of the schools that are developing. There's a school in on in Sydney's North Shore, which is like a, a life learning. I think it's called life um, learning. Okay, I think I think it's in Linfield, but it's basically it's it's a hybrid education approach. Um, you know, there's a fascinating documentary called Most Likely to Succeed. Um, it, it is wor- well worth the watch and. What they basically do, it's an integrated or blended um, education model out of a, it's called high tech high. And what they do is rather than it being about the individual, it's actually, they've, it's a lot of it is like group work. So how the, the workforce actually works and they blend in uh, subjects. So they'll have like mathematics and history as one subject. And what they've got to then do is, in a team actually contribute to like a big mural or a big project as the whole class. So the whole class is learning, you know, about mathematics and whatever it might be. And they're learning about, um, you know, the Roman emperor. And then, so then they've got to build a, a sundial, I think is the example or, or a working clock. And then each group then had a, a project lead. They had like a creative designer. They then had 
whatever it was. So, and everyone took the roles differently. So if it was the three of us here, it's like, well, uh, Will, you'll be the engineer and Jordan, you'll be the, the team lead and Saxon, you'll be the, the, the creative on it. And collectively, we're actually working towards our part of the project as a part of the whole team. And they're being assessed the whole time about how are we collecting information? How are we sharing that information between the three of us? Am I being too overbearing and, and putting you down, Jordan, and trying to take control, even though you've been um, you know, attributed to be the leader? Are we listening to Will? Are we taking that on? And that's how they're actually uh, assessed. Right. And then at the end of each semester, they, you know, the whole mural of the working clock is, is on the wall and the parents come in and, and everything. And then the parents are actually then the parent-teacher. They have the, the consultation with the student and, the, and the, the teacher. And they say that, you know, Jordan was quite shy going into this project. He had two, you know, characters in Saxon Will who were in his team. And what we saw was that he really grew in stature. However, what he didn't do is take on the advice from Will when Will was giving him information. So it's like it's really productive and, and it's a, an integrated learning process so that when you go off into the world, and this is what employers are looking for, they're looking for collaboration, they're looking for teamwork, they're, they're wanting you to be able to work to your strengths and then be able to go to you, know, George, and go like, mate, like, you know, this is something I'm not really good at. Can you help me? Rather than saying, yeah, yeah, we can just do it all. And then it just being, you know, caught up in that negative cycle. Um, I thought that was a, I thought that was fascinating. I thought that was a, a fascinating model and one which integrated and we there's so much so many discussions now about skills and and transferable skills of nature and enterprise skills and i say this often that i think we need to tread with much precaution that skills just don't become a, a divide again between qualification and skills that skills just become like a painted over the ugly parts of vocation and we've still got qualifications which are you know degrees and and whatnot it really is being able to identify and say that you know, I'm, I'm a really critical thinker who's a problem solver and being able to then demonstrate that in a practical manner and being able to say like, you know, th these are some of the programs or projects that we've done. That's where I, I, I truly see the, the future of work going. And I think that having that approach with education, never before in, in the history of human or mankind have we had so much access to information. Like if I wanted to know who the... 14th president of the United States was, I just asked Siri sitting right in front of me, my phone will probably go off now. So we've got all this information, but, you know, we're still making students, they're learning to, to remember, they're not learning to learn. And that it's just, it's a very archaic approach that the advancements of technology with world, with where industries are going, with how quickly it's happened. And you look at the past 10 years, you know, I've been out of school for 14 years now and to see how quickly technology, the opportunity through technology, um, the changes within industry, these in-demand industries and skills um, is something which is just, you know, I think the education system is, is falling behind with those demands. And that blended approach was, was something that I thought was quite fascinating. Will, is there anything that's, that stood out to you in particular systems globally or types of schools? So what you're talking about, I think, Israel, is this concept of, uh, of potential. There's systems yeah, in the world and, and different ways of doing things which are more looking, okay, cool, what is the potential of this person in correlation to, you know, a certain pathway or, or, or you know, opportunity? And so that's where the current system isn't very good at recognizing potential it's really more about cool where you're currently at based on these certain structures and so yes Sachs and I have a good example where you know I, I was sort of fortunate to be in the system where like I, I'm like more analytical and so I sort of fit within the structure of of what the current uh, school system is whereas Sachs who's much more creative and you know is is you know not only more interested in those sorts of of um, uh, of hobbies and, and just ways of thinking, sort of fit without that. And sort of Zach's mentioned it before: is this is where I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm bad at, and it just happens to be the opposite of what Zach's is good and bad at. And so us together is that's where it becomes really powerful because 
you know, I can cover his shortcomings, but he can cover mine. And so it, it goes into how do you define someone's potential and how do you set a, a, a system in place to maximise that potential? Because, again, that's where potential comes in so many different facets. Yeah, well, it's hard to measure, firstly. Like from a systematic point of view, that's, that's the only difficult thing with the ATAR system is if you don't fit within that structure, it's, it is a leading, like we know firsthand and, and through, through our, you know, just dealing with our audience and our research and all that sort of stuff, it, it's a major barrier to people's confidence. Like, people, you know, Sachs said it, um, well, if, you, if you didn't say it in this one, I think you sort of mentioned it, but Sachs openly says that he, he left school feeling like a loser because he didn't fit within that structure. And I think Sachs is one of the most impressive and yeah, successful people I know. So that, that's where it's more about ways of, of assisting young people, not putting them down, I guess. That, that's... I think that's the thing that a lot of entrepreneurs have the frustration is that, so there's an element of your personality that I know that a lot of entrepreneurs, you've got to be con- somewhat conscientious, like some are more than others, but some are also like the vast majority are very creative and creativity can't be, it's hard to put a number on that and what that potential has. But if you look at a lot of the entrepreneurs, you have to have a creative element to your, to your personality because that creates opportunity. And yeah, that, that was the biggest thing. And the thing that I noticed in hindsight is for me, the creative element of my personality was, was never enumerated in a number. It's, it's very hard to do that. And, you know, again, like some of the people we've had on incredibly successful listed ASX businesses, global businesses, and bad score because they just don't like maths like you, you know they don't like doing algebra but they're amazing at doing quick numbers for settling a deal you know and and that sort of stuff just can't be quantified in the current system so i completely agree and i guess this is where it gives opportunity for you guys as a business so we should probably talk about what year 13 actually is i mean it's it's clearly multifaceted when i went through the website it was very interesting to see there's clearly like a few factors of of revenue and channels for you guys to help people. You know, there's, if you go on the website, there's recommendations around courses that people can do, st- like work that they can do. So clearly you, you're doing lots of work with like different types of organizations. Like there's apprenticeships, internships, small business, medium business, big brands. Brings me back to the days of like, going to the careers fair, not fair, but like the thing they'd have at the exhibition building and be like, oh, should I do the ADF gap year? Like they're going to pay me to study. All that sort of stuff. And then you've got your own academy, which is like the thing that I remember writing about at 18 being like, why didn't school teach me this? Like, how do you do a budget? How do you learn about money? How do you learn about this specific problem? And, and you guys seem to have built these, these courses for that. Now, I can make all sorts of assumptions about what the business is, but when you guys sit down next to someone on a plane, how do you explain it to someone? Yeah, so look, uh, our core uh, you know, mission is, is to uh, help people be on the pathway towards meaningful work. And that's not to say that our entire business is, is putting people into work, but again, we're wanting people to live happy and fulfilled lives and we know how important it is to, to have that. So. There's, there's two different sides of our business. There's, there's the career advice element, which is helping you set a goal. Uh, and, you know, that could be going on a gap year. That could be going to uni, could be, yeah, whatever it is. But have some sort of post-school goal. That's the first half. The second half is helping you achieve that goal. Okay. And so, so the first half is maybe a little bit more judgmental of like, you know, you should consider this. There's all this information that, you know, might impact your decision. The second half is whatever you want to do, sweet as, let's help you get there. So there's sort of two personas of, of the business, the one that's sort of in schools and government, which is more like the parent brand, like of like, you know, sort of judgmental conversation. And then year 13, the one that you're, you know, the front end that you're looking at is like the older brother, older sister, where it's like, cool, if you want to go be an artist, let's help you do that. If you want to go be an engineer, let's help you do that. Like, so there's a lot of barriers that are involved that, you know, as we've been talking about, stop people from achieving their goal. Our business really helps people not only identify, but achieve their goals. I like that. I like what you said at the start where it's sort of like a goal post-school and then a goal, what was it, like transitioning during that period? Was that the two that you mentioned before? 
So yeah, the, the setting the goal and then achieving the goal. Okay, setting the goal. Yeah, okay. I really like that. If I had goal setting, I remember I found goal setting, but you know, we were chatting off air before about Tim Ferriss. That was the guy that made me interested in learning. You know, like he was the gateway drug for learning stuff, yeah. so to speak. I mean, same as me. Four hour work week was probably the first book I actually read outside of school. Yeah. Four hour work week was the thing where I went like, oh shit, like there's a way that you can, do- I don't have, because, you know, my background, Greek, but Cypriot background, Greek Cypriot, and classic case, like dad's a fourth generation printer. He's like, you're not going to, you're not going to be become a printer. Like you don't want to do this. You're going to do, you can become a doctor, a lawyer, like cliche profession. You're going to do a profession. And I did it and I hated it, but it was Tim Ferriss that I found in my last year of uni. And he really got me passionate about how could I apply this degree with other things that I was doing later on in life. I think in, uh, we were talking off air earlier about um, some of the questions. And um, so Sachs and I both have some, um, some interesting routines and most of them actually come in one way or another from a starting point of Tim Ferriss. So we both do fasting and, and um, ice baths and stuff. It, it, and it actually comes from um, uh, Tim Ferriss. There's his other one, which is Tools of Titans. Is, yeah, yeah, great book. Yeah. So, because um, in our office, I think quite a few people think that we're really weird and we're like, we just blame Tim Ferriss. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys, uh, out of interest, like, it makes me wonder, like, do you, do you guys thoroughly recommend certain authors to people? Like, is it a one-on-one thing or do you recommend it as part of like material that you push out there? Have you ever gone like recommended reading for everyone, Tim Ferriss? Funnily enough, so when, when we were umming and ahhing about the business, so Will was 19, I was 21, you know, you, you're thinking like neither of us had any idea about starting a business, let alone the internet. And you know, you'd think, oh, we're not technical at all. We actually stumbled across a book. It's like a coffee table book and it's called, it's not how good you are, it's how good you want to be. Okay. And it's just really short, anecdotal. We, we give it to every staff member when they, when they start with us at, at, at year 13. We've got it all over one of our feature walls in, in the office, but it's almost like a, you can read it in half an hour. But I think the uh, philosophy and the understanding in it is is something that I would suggest everyone to read. It doesn't matter if you're a scholar or it or you're someone who has never read a book before. I think you know if you love what you read, you'll you know you'll love to read. And that book was a real starting point, especially for me coming out of this you know the school system where I hated reading books and I didn't re- I was just trying to remember things rather than actually learning and that um. That's a, that's that's a book which I always always you know we give out as a gift to people. You know we've probably given out three four hundred of them. I wouldn't even know over the years. Um, that's that's a really big one. Oh, what else? I'm I'm more so into a lot of philosophy and 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 self development. Um, I continually kind of go down that line. Stubbs is a lot more of the 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 business side of Tim Ferriss. So. I think I, I kind of wear the Rogan hat and he wears the Ferris hat, <laughs> and, and the philosophies. But yeah, that's a, that, that, that's a really, really good book. Um, another, another really good one, um, and this probably goes into a lot of Will's and my routines that we've adopted over the years, is that you know, stress as, a, as an emotion is a, a debilitating emotion. We all know what it's like to be around someone who is very stressful or highly strong or being in really stressful situations. And you know, it is only to your benefit to never let, never make a decision out of stress. And when you are feeling really overwhelmed, being able to actually have an outlet to release it and not let it be a, the mental stress. So that's why, as Stubbs mentioned, we do fasting, we do ice baths and saunas. You know, we, um, Will had a motorbike accident a few years ago, but prior to that, we would, you know, go on long runs and, and work out together. So we'd put ourselves through these stressful environments and these stressful situations outside of work so that whenever work became stressful or out, even outside of work in, in terms of just, you know, personal experience and relationships, we've always known how to deal with that stress. And a, another really cool one, which um, I've become a big fan of, is one called The Daily Stoic. I don't know if you've uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that by chance. Ryan Holiday. Um, yeah, Ryan Holiday. Yeah. He's um I I think that is a 
a tool that everyone could have to always be able to relate to. I've, I've given that book to a lot of friends who were going through various trials and tribulations at different times, whether they were starting a business, whether they were going through a shift in their life and using that like, to understand emotions and where emotions come from and, and what triggers various emotions is a, um, I think a, a recipe for success. I think it, it can help you in all areas of life. So they're, they're probably mine. Three the stoicism thing's really funny because I remember when it came out, uh, my old boss, one of the best bosses I ever had, um, she always spoke about like classic Greek, like the Greeks created everything. <laughs> and then as soon as stoicism became the trend, she's like, see, told you. They're just, they're just rehashing everything. Democracy, we did it 3,000 years ago. <laughs> Do you know what's funny about that? Is, so my landlord is Greek uh, and <laughs> there's a Greek cafe that they his family own. And I went up there the other day and they said... On the you know the pastry thing, it said Greek donut, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" The Greeks are now claiming they invented the donut. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, so is this Luca Mathis? Is he is he talking about um like the, it's a, like a little ball type thing, and they sprinkled no, nuts and like no, syrup? It's, over. It's, a, it's a it was like a, a traditional donut, and I was like, "I'm not." Oh, no, I'm, that's I'm, not. I'm, that's not I would, Greek. I would challenge that the Greeks invented the donut. Yeah, no, no, that's. <laughs> That's a bold claim. That's a bold claim. I've got a photo of it. I'll send it through to you. (laughs) Yeah, send it through. That's always really funny when like, this is like the thing that my dad would always steer clear of when I was a kid is like being that guy because I think he grew up in a very Aussie area and he just wanted to fit in. He wanted to be as Aussie as meat pie and he just didn't want to like keep going on about those things. But he's got, we have friends and family who would say stupid shit like that. Like, you know, the Greeks created meat pie, right? (laughs) <laughs> like just stuff like that. It's just it's just so dumb. Um, so you know, you've got year 13 now. We we talk about your insights earlier and what the organization does. I'm curious around the moment where you guys start to realize you had an effect, like a genuine effect, not just on individuals, but on a, a cohort of people in their lives. And you know, we talk about hopes, fears, and dreams as one of the topics I mentioned earlier. You know, you guys do studies on attitudes, habits, perceptions of uh, business of young people. It, it makes me wonder a few things about how this, now we're getting into Gen Z, how things are changing. But I guess, what what is the insight that has surprised, surprised you both on the upside and the downside? So what what's sort of the fear that has surprised you and what is the aspiration that has surprised you as this next generation has come through? I think I think the biggest thing is that Gen Zs, this generation, they're like they're known as digital natives. They've grown up with the influence of and the connectivity of the internet. So, Facebook, Instagram, Snap, like like the social platforms have been a part of their their development. And so, I think now more than ever, um, young people. Uh, more aware of a lot of the the problems. And I think they have more, they feel as though they have more of a voice. And, you know, going back to when we first started year 13, I'll never forget it. We were doing, we've always been data-driven and we would create content around a lot of these problems. So I remember one of our early articles was like the value of a gap year. One of the professors out of Sydney Uni came out saying that they can see they see a distinct difference between a student that does a gap that takes a gap year in terms of completions and successions in their degree versus students that don't. Students that don't burn out a lot quicker and lose interest. And so, you know, we we took that and basically wrote an article around you know the value of a gap year. Both Will and I were able were fortunate enough to spend some time backpacking in different trips at different periods of our lives and that made a lot of sense. And so we created a piece like that and we put it out. And then all of a sudden we got inundated with people, you know, tagging, commenting, inboxing us, writing into the site saying like, Oh, you know, thank you for doing this. Thank you for sharing this. I've been, I've been trying to articulate it, but never been able to know how to like, Uh, do you actually help people find gap years? Like, what do you guys, like, what can, can you help me find one? We do similar thing with um, like trades and apprenticeships. We would just do like, you know, are trades greater than a degree and going like, you know, essentially again, ABS data. Did you know that as an apprentice graduate or a vet graduate, you can graduate $150,000 ahead of a, you know, a university counterpart when you take into, take into consideration 
time studying, um, you know, hex debt, um, wages earned, opportunity, and did that and just had a, you know, comparison there and some creative wordsmithing and making it kind of quite relative and same thing just inundated with people being like, you know, I've been trying to speak to my mum and dad about this. Um, do you actually help people get into apprenticeships? I'm wanting to be able to do this. So that's always driven us, I think. You know, just recently we've done a, a reshaping of the business and going back to our core principles and purpose and our why and, and why we want to, what we set out to do, you know, 10 years ago when Will and I kind of kicked this thing off. And, you know, I've, I've got on my computer screen next to the room a, inbox from a girl that was just like i'll grab it hang on two seconds. yeah just on that point about the gap year will like do you know what it does just quickly in what facet you mean like you know how um there was that data on the fact that uh, this professor said someone who did a gap year had better completion rates what is it about a gap year that you guys have noticed is it the fact that it just gives people space uh so i think it's Clarity and confidence. So people that come back and continue with the degree um, have more clarity that that's what they want to do or they might have pivoted already. Um, And confidence in themselves. Um, Character development was one of the big ones. Because if you think about it, like you finish high school, what, November? You've done your exams, right? And then you get your score a month later and you're going through your application process and uni starts what in like march april so you you really have no time to really let yourself decompress properly because that summer period when i think about it and what i did all you did is just go out and socialize and work if you're one of the people that can do that and it's you know but it goes back even further you're starting year 12 and it's like we've got early early entrance it's like you've got your estimates you've got like you've got to make your your um, first choices you got to make your second choices like there's such a precedence in making those decisions before you're even there you don't even know and let's say that you stumble in a couple of exams or a couple of assessments and you don't get into your first or second preference it's like holy shit like shit now i've just got to take whatever i can and you kind of excluding any other opportunity and with a gap year it's like you know you go off and work like will and i talk about how everyone should work in hospitality for one stage of their life like hospitality is the ultimate equalizer because the customer is always right you know you've got to you've got to work late nights you've got to you've got to be multitasking you've it's highly stressful you've got to manage that stress like you know it's incredibly rewarding rewarding you take you taught teaching i mean sales skills you're taught like customer service skills you know it's empathy there's so many values that come from doing that and you know you take a gap year, you go work in another country you experience different cultures even if it's domestic like one of our most popular programs is jack of rowing you think suburban life is is stressful go out to northern new south wales when there's a mice plague going on and and you've got to be trying to put in crops or you've got to be you know bringing in moving cattle 120 kilometers in a day and you've got 6,000 cattle in front of you like that's stress compared to are we going to go out this Thursday or not like it's it's a it's a completely different experience and I think that's what was validated through that that research piece was that you go off there and do that and you come back and then you're ready to go into education you can actually make a right decision was the biggest thing but just um, going back to it Jordan I just ran and grabbed the, the quote and this is what still drives us to, to today, but it was someone sent us in a thing and they just go, hey, um, I don't know who posted this, but I just want to reach out to you guys and thank you for letting me see that I'm not alone. You guys have been a big help. Thank you for all that you, you do. You inspire us all and you inspire people to be better. You're changing the world. And I think that is where you know, full circle in the conversation is like young people have that voice and they've got the platforms to be able to, you know, engage with things that are built by like-minded people that help them understand their own interests and skills and by being able to do that that's it recycles back onto us and we go through the good days we've had great days and we've had some shocking days we've had horrible days but when we get you know in um inboxes and messages like that it makes everything worthwhile for us yeah i i completely agree i can see where and, and U13 makes that, like you said, come full circle because you're giving that people that awareness. I, I was just thinking as you were answering that 
situation about the people with the gap year. I just wish I found you guys when I was um, finishing high school because going back to the bad advice that I had at high school, I just remember I was so adamant on doing commerce at Monash and then I didn't get the right marks. Like uh, I missed out by like, I don't know, five points or something like that. And the advice was like, oh, just go to this other uni, um, which at the time was Australian Catholic uni and it's basically the same course and you're just going to get this mark and you can transfer. And it never eventuated. And also the course, they, they integrated all this sort of philosophy shit that I just did not want to do, like religious philosophy as compulsory units. And I was just like, I've wasted the last year of my life. And you know what? The best thing I did in that year was I took basically a part-time or near full-time job working in hospitality as like a wine waiter because I had that interest in that. So that was uh, probably the best experience of the year was the work. So you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, I think. The one thing I'd add there, because you and just on like understanding Gen Z, Gen Z is um, Gen Z is very, very values-based and almost principles-based. Gen Z in our eyes actually are probably the clearest thinkers in terms of what they do and don't want. Than, than our generation and, and one before us because, you know, they're very clear in terms of how they want to work. Like they don't want to follow the one, the, the generation before us in terms of, you know, completely killing themselves, and, you know, in the office. Like they want to be on their own own terms, which, you know, is very jarring for, 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 for employers and, and, you know, different people. But they're very clear. They're very clear with the world that they want to have around them in terms of, you know, sustainability and, you know, in terms of, um, you know, cultural and social issues as well. And so it's interesting because our core business is actually quite a utility-based product and service, <laughs> but we've built a like, really large audience based on things that align to their values. And so that's what's been quite interesting is, you know, we uh, have set out to, to solve a problem and because we just stick to that sort of lane, <laughs> Gen Z have, have like come to us and then we get those people writing into us about those sorts of things all the time. Well, the value-based thing is uh, really important. I, I'd agree with that. There's a lot of there's a lot of people in this generation because of the freedoms that they have and and how life has become easier for a lot of us um, that, yeah, values and principles become really, really important. So I, I completely agree with that. I think um, it's a very interesting insight. And I think you guys are really at, the forefront of this in Australia. And one of the things I had earlier is like, did you, had you guys ever heard of reach as an organization? It's sort of like reach, but for, you know, people who are school leavers essentially. Now rapid fire questions to finish things off. Uh, we had a few here. We spoke about them off air, but I'm going to pick two. So what's been the best purchase for you guys under 200 bucks? That was the one I was like, I could <laughs> Um, yeah, that was the only one you didn't mention, and that's why. I, that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't buy a lot of things. Um, I got a, I got a, I got a really good Sunbeam coffee machine for bang on two hundred bucks. That's uh, on Facebook Marketplace. So, actually, you know what? That's probably this table here. This table here, it's okay. Like, no one can even see it, but it's like a, it, it's a brass cabinet and it opens up and it's got like a wine rack like wine racks to the side and i got it for 50 bucks on marketplace once again so marketplace is probably the best best thing i've got for under 200 dollars okay will so one of the books that I, I give a little bit but probably one of my favorite books which is um it was probably like 40 bucks um it's called the hard thing about hard things ah uh, yeah, yeah 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 and um that's what came to mind at least <laughs> okay i like that one um, great book. Thoroughly recommend if anyone wants to take a look at it. All right. Last question for you. If you guys could have a billboard anywhere in Australia, where would it be? And then what would you put on it? Mm. Just to note, uh, I was at a really good spot for a billboard the other day when we were up in Sydney. Is uh, I, I forget how big that King's Cross billboard is and how prominent it is. <laughs> but that, it's it's either the one at the cross or um, Melbourne Airport or Punt Road is like a one that's consistently referred back to. I think now now in the the day and age of drones and what you can do with a drone, I'd, I'd probably do my, a bit of a billboard drone above like the Southern Cross with some cliche quote like point yourself in the right direction at year13.com.au. Okay. 
<laughs> I like it. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. One of the answers I had was um, someone uh, who's a podcast host. They said, uh, the thing that I want is, um, hey, Siri, uh, play X, what? Oh, fuck, Siri just came on. That's just creepy. Um, play play this show. And I was like, that's a, that's a great ad. I'm going to do that one day. I'm just going to buy a billboard and say, hey, Siri, play Uncommon. Um, and then COVID happened. So it didn't really make it possible. Um, Will, what do you got? <laughs> I can put a big one in front of our school and say, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, you were wrong. No. <laughs> yeah. And just like you on the billboard like this, like pointing, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like, like the we need you ad. Yeah. 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 Don't listen to them. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, um, thank you so much for doing this and coming on the show. Uh, where can people find you both on the interwebs? The uh, best is probably so obviously the website is um year13.com.au and then um both will and i are, uh, are available on on linkedin so um saxon phipps and and will stubbley but if you go through to year 13 you'll be able to find links through to us there so i think that's uh probably the best best pursuit yeah i agree with that um we'll make sure we link all of the the year 13 stuff and um Gents, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. All right, it's our pleasure. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. If you liked it, do subscribe and, of course, like it on YouTube if you're watching as well. We'd really appreciate that. For audio, if you've not already listening on your podcast app, you can search for it on any good app, including Spotify, Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. For video, if you're not watching, you can search Uncommon Podcasts on YouTube. It's the first one that appears every single time. For behind the scenes, do follow us on Instagram and TikTok. It's at Uncommon underscore show. But until next time, thanks for tuning in. Yeah.